Ooh, probably uh, an older woman, graying hair, sitting alone in an armchair surrounded by cats. Hi, I'm Anne Muir, and this is Time for One Poem. In this episode, I talk to the poet Jane Yeh, and my poetry skeptic slash expert is Lydia, a trash TV lover who just finished a master's in service design. Hi, Jane. Hi, Annie. Thanks for coming to talk to me about poetry today. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast. Firstly, since this is a podcast aimed at complete beginners to poetry. Can you tell me what is a poet and what is your day-to-day life as a poet like? I guess uh, my day job is actually teaching creative writing. So it's pretty closely related to poetry. I'm really fortunate in that way, I know. Um, So, uh, you know, I guess my day-to-day life as a poet more is that I do have a daily practice, meaning like I try to write every single day, normally in the mornings, because um, when I was younger, I used to actually only write late at night. Like I would often go out and see friends or whatever and then come home and be like more sobered up by then. And then like actually sit down and write or read for a couple of hours. Like I used to be a real night owl, you know, even if I wasn't going out, like I would just stay home um, (laughs) writing and reading until quite late at night. But actually the older I get, the more it's like, um, the morning is definitely the sharpest time for my focus and my mind. So that's why I switched to writing in in the morning, like trying to do writing in the morning. So, um, that's what I try to do. And again, I know I'm very fortunate because I don't have like caring responsibilities or children to look after or things like that. So I have a lot more of a flexible schedule than most people tend to. So can you remember how or why or who first got you into poetry? Was there anyone who particularly encouraged you? I guess it was mostly like one of my teachers in high school. Again, like I think a lot of people I had, I was lucky to have uh, one or two really kind of inspiring or like super um, just excellent teachers uh, in high school. And one of them was very interested in poetry. Like in our high school's curriculum, there was no actual teaching of poetry, which is kind of crazy when I look back on it. But, you know, like we didn't even learn canonical poetry, like the romantics or Shakespeare sonnets or whatever. There's just nothing. So um, this teacher, because she was like the advisor for our student literary magazine as well. So, you know, she would like, for those of us that were interested, she would kind of like give us photocopies of poems occasionally or whatever, or like, you know, encourage us to try to write poetry and things like that. So I do feel really fortunate in that way. So your newest book is called Discipline, and you've already talked a bit about your discipline as a writer. Um, Can you tell me about the cake on the front of the book? I'm sure a lot of people will want to know about that. Oh, yeah. So um, the front cover of the book, it's actually a photo of like a whole installation. So it looks kind of like, I mean, this was the intention of the installation. Like it looks like a whole room or like the the inside of a building that has been made of cake, like cake that is like all elaborately frosted and decorated, you know, in like pale pink and pale blue and white. Um, it's really amazing. It was just this picture that I saw by chance online because like a couple of different online websites had seen pictures of this art installation and were like, here's a cool thing. And then by chance, once I saw it, uh, one of these articles, 
Um, and it's it's a piece like installation called Cake Land by this Californian artist called Scott Hove, who I don't even know. And like, I still haven't met. Like, <laughs> you know, my my publisher asked him for permission to use the, the picture of his work, obviously. And he was like, fine. But like, you know, he didn't like uh, try to contact me or anything. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just incredible. Like, I actually really wish that I'd had a chance to see this um, installation because, oh, and the other thing is that, of course, it's not actually cake. Like, you know, it's know. like cardboard or plasterboard or whatever and paint and, you know, uh, I don't know, some kind of probably builder's foam or something. Like, so it looks like it's all made of cake, but it's not. And I guess the idea of that kind of illusion is also what I liked. Yeah, so that illusion. And then also just the kind of impossibility or kind of like fairy tale or maybe fantasy quality of it that because it really does look in the pictures like it's a room made out of cake or like a building built out of cake you know which is kind of fascinating to think about so I know you've kind of burst the bubble for me I thought it was really cake I know I mean actually I guess maybe (laughs) if you were like some kind of uh super baker you could make make that happen but I don't know it it seems pretty hard because it's like you know yeah anyway it's like so the it ceilings like and a, walls and everything. It seems like a lot of the poems in that collection are inspired by exhibitions or artworks. Do you get a lot of inspiration from wondering about? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely am inspired uh, by like art and uh, exhibitions that I've been to. Although sometimes it's just something that I've seen online. Like again, this um, cake, cake land installation. So it's not even always seeing them in person. But I guess um, I have a couple of friends who are really interested in like contemporary art. So like I end up going to shows or things that I wouldn't just go to off my own bat really. Um, But yeah, no, then it becomes really interesting to me. And like in a way, because it's sort of out, it's not my speciality or like my own field, you know, which is kind of like poetry and literature or like creative writing or whatever. Um, Like the fact that it's not exactly the same as my own field, probably makes it kind of more interesting to me or like my position on it uh, on looking at it and experiencing it is a little bit outside what it would be like even compared to my friends that are interested in it so also about something I noticed about your book are the titles there's a lot of titles that are similar like a short history of something or self-portrait as something and I think it's a really clever use of a title because it gives a sort of sense of authority to the poem. It's like, this is what it's about. Do you write your titles before or after the poem? How does that work? Um, I guess most of the time I write them afterwards. And to be honest, I feel I always feel a bit lame about my titles. Like, I would <laughs> like to be better or more creative with them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really admire it when I see other people's poems that have titles that, like, do more interesting things or whatever. Whereas mine, I think, are pretty, like, kind of just descriptive or straightforward in a way. And maybe it is because I just write them afterwards, like, in what I am embarrassed to say is a slightly tacked on way. But anyway. Well, I think it, it really, it gives an illusion of, of authority. You know what you're <laughs> talking about. I really believe that's you funny. when you tell me. <laughs> wow, that's like literally the opposite of what it feels like from my side. Um, so that's <laughs> kind of interesting, actually, yeah. It is, it is good when people have a really catchy title. Sometimes it feels the title's more important than the poem. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. But again, like, I just feel like there's a lot of creativity to the way some people use titles that um, I wish I was doing as well, I guess, maybe. Well, I think you are. So I've seen you read before in Manchester, oh. and uh, I thought you were really funny. Oh, uh, when you started writing, did you have the intention of making people laugh? Or is that incidental, do you think? Um. Well, I mean, when I really started, you know, kind of back like in high school or uni or whatever, when I was pretty young-ish, um, I guess I I wasn't thinking as much about things being funny. Like maybe like a lot of sort of teenagers or young adults, you know, you have like these very intense emotions and everything is kind of really serious. But actually, like the more the longer I went on writing poems, I guess, and also just reading more other people's poems. Anyway, like the more interested I was in actually kind of being funny, I guess. Um, and I guess like I sort of think of it sometimes as like when I'm trying to write a poem, like I'm trying to entertain myself. So like I I get bored kind of easily or like I like things that are funny in some way. So and then obviously the extra hope is that like if it's entertaining to me or funny to me, then it might be funny to someone else as well. So um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess sometimes I wonder, because I have like one or two friends that are actual like TV kind of comedy writers. Um, and I sometimes think, oh, like, what if I had gone into that or something? Because I do like jokes. like, um, And, you know, like in some of my poems, I guess, even when they don't seem funny per se, there's like kind of like puns or like um, plays on words or things like that that are kind of like comedy a bit. Anyway. And another comedian trait that you do is you like writing poems from with other characters, like you're not yourself. Like for example, in your Ook the Owl poem, which I really love, the the owl from Harry Potter's sort of audition feelings. I think that's amazing. Oh cheers. Um, do you do that to is it kind of when you're a bit bored of writing from your own perspective? Yeah, I think definitely, because I rarely write directly from my own perspective um, when it comes down to it. Yeah, I don't know. I think also some, like I used to think this more, well, I still think this. Anyway, um, <laughs> like I kind of think in some ways I'm, uh, what's the word? Like um, I'm like a fiction writer that has been diverted into writing poetry because I do like making up characters and like imagining their thoughts and things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, which we think of fiction writers doing more than poets usually but um yeah like I I am more interested in kind of making up narratives or stories about these characters I've also made up or borrowed from elsewhere like you know in a way so do you ever write like deep feeling poems that you just never show anyone um I would say not actually I mean I guess like um you know, the poems that I write have some of my feelings in them, but they've been kind of funneled into these different characters or like situations or whatever you could say. But also, I, th I don't know. And then even when I try to occasionally write something that is sort of autobiographical or more just, you know, if you want to say like just me talking, um, it never really works. And then I always <laughs> end up giving up, um, you know, like I'll try drafting a little bit, but then I'll just give up and go back to kind of the things that I would usually write, maybe. 
Do you think people ever read your poems and don't get the reference so just think that you're really strange or something? That's definitely possible as well, because like, obviously, the poem you mentioned, you know, in the title and the kind of head note, it states, obviously, that it's like this owl actor from the Harry Potter movies, but there's definitely ones that are more uh, less obvious. So like, I wouldn't, I don't even, I wouldn't even blame the reader for reading them and just thinking like, oh, you know, that's the writer talking about themselves or whatever. So can't really knock that, to be fair. So... This is crunch time. Although you're an expert on writing poems, I don't think you're an expert on your own poems because you're too close to them. So as I told you, I'm going to take your poem, Self-Portrait as a Spinster, to be read by one of our non-poets. Does this scare you? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say that it scares me. I Like, I'm actually just curious to see what they think or what they make of it because, you know... Um... I don't, well, and I, I don't think I'm an expert on poetry by any means. So, um, yeah, no, I'm definitely curious to hear what someone thinks about it. Well, you are a teacher of poetry, so your students probably think you're some sort of expert on it. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, I guess... Um, Own it. Anyway. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to ask you to read it, but before I do, I just want to say thank you for coming to talk to me today. Oh, Thank you. Uh, and thanks for your questions. They were really lovely and interesting, I thought. Self-portrait as a spinster. The macadamia nut of sunset, blanketed with a strawberry breeze. Such moments are infrequent in our sugar substitute days. Like the texture of a shiny wallpaper without good taste. So melodious in the Pima cotton night is the song of the maiden hair cat. To be unloved is like listening to a progress report on courgettes for months. My feelings propelled in a Victorian swimming cage over a rocky beach. I decanted my sincerity into a carefully labeled trunk. I wilted like a leftover chicken wing in the crispy light of day. It was awful to be unloved, like having an embarrassing disease. Somewhere on the moon, a clangor emits a distant mournful chirp. I pretended to be carefree yet salty, like a seaside wench. The Bakelite earring of summer swayed to and fro, to and fro. It was okay to be alone, like a sausage in a garden full of flowers. In the caramel air, a Labrador stared kindly at my meaty display. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Annie. Thank you for coming to talk to me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm very excited. Okay, firstly, when someone says the word poetry to you, what is your general reaction? Cool. <laughs> and what does that mean in your head when you say that? You know, like, I... I am around people who admire and enjoy poetry. My best friend is a poet. Uh, my father loves poetry. I studied, I did a comparative literature class in university that I enjoyed, but I'm just not an avid poetry consumer. So I don't have positive or negative feelings around it. Um, and if somebody was like, oh, 
have you read this poem? The answer is going to be no, because I haven't. So, <laughs> do you think your dad liking it maybe put you off a bit? No, probably the opposite. I think I'd be more inclined to enjoy poetry because of him, but I've just never really connected with any poetry before. Just hasn't happened yet for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Oh, okay. I am a designer in the broadest sense, I think. So I have dabbled in graphics and branding and art direction and service and strategy. And now I work in the tech world as a design lead. So mostly what I do is like macro vision, design and business development stuff and I just finished my master's in service design so yeah cool and what about in your spare time how do you relax Mm, I think I'm definitely someone who always has stuff going on uh like this morning I'm I was feeling a bit rushed because I decided to go to the pool to get some some laps in and then I stopped and got a coffee I listened to an audiobook I like to watch trash television. Yeah, I like to go running. Sounds like a lovely morning. It was really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Okay, and I'm asking everyone this. Would you consider yourself an expert in anything? And it could be something small, like flipping beer mats or something, but you're an expert in it. Ooh, um... You know, I'm I'm pretty staunch about my feelings of being a generalist. So it's hard it's hard to in one breath call yourself a generalist and then also say you you specialize in something, but I'm precocious and so I do. Um <laughs> I would say I'm an expert in relationship building. I think that's something that I've always sort of been really good at no matter where I go. I make friends and really good connections and those friendships usually last forever so that's probably my expertise that's beautiful okay well for today you are our poetry expert <laughs> that's a good i feel start. i feel hugely unqualified so that's great perfect perfect so we're gonna look at the poem self-portrait as a spinster by jane Ye. Uh, I sent the poem to you. I think you had a little cheeky look at it. Uh, Would you be able to read it out for me? Sure. Self-portrait as a spinster. The macadamia nut of sunset blanketed with a strawberry breeze. Such moments are infrequent in our sugar substitute days. Like the texture of a shiny wallpaper without good taste. So melodious in the Pima cotton night is the song of the maiden haircut. To be unloved is like listening to a progress report on courgettes for months. My feelings propelled in a Victorian swimming cage over a rocky beach. I decanted my sincerity into a carefully labeled trunk. I wilted like a leftover chicken wing in the crispy light of day. It was awful to be unloved, like having an embarrassing disease. Somewhere on the moon, a clangor emits a distant, mournful chirp. I pretended to be carefree, yet salty, like a seaside wench. The bakelite earring of summer swayed to and fro, to and fro. It was okay to be alone. 
like a sausage in a garden full of flowers. In the caramel air, a Labrador stared kindly at my meaty display. Beautifully read. Thank you. I just want to take a minute there. Just, that was lovely. Um, So what were your first impressions when you read this poem? Were there any bits that stood out to you? Mm, um, I think what's really interesting is that I had a very visceral response to the title. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I felt maybe a little seen by it. Really? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like as someone who is often single and is 30, um, the title alone, self-portrait as a spinster, is maybe a little self-referential, which at first I was like, ooh, don't want to go near that because you gave me a okay, choice. Let's okay, talk, let's talk about this title because I, I thought we'd begin by talking about it because just in case there's any really young people who may never have heard the word, so it's, it's quite an outdated word, isn't it? I mean, is it? What, okay. is, what do you think a spinster is referring to? An alone woman beyond sort of socially acceptable, meritable age. Yeah, so, but it's quite old fashioned. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't use it currently, but. Um, I'd make a glib joke. <laughs> yeah. When you see um, the title and the word spinster itself, you get an image of what a spinster looks like. Ooh, probably uh, an older woman, graying hair, sitting alone in an armchair surrounded by cats. That's. <laughs> yeah. that's it yeah yeah like in school we did a carol ann duffy poem that was about miss havisham do you know from charles dickens story so and that's where i heard the word spinster i think the first time and that's what i see is like a woman wearing her wedding dress she hasn't taken it off for like two years but she she never got married she's like covered (sighs) in cake or something it's horrible But yeah, you are definitely not a spinster, so oh, thanks, you, you should not feel seen by this. There's no such thing anymore. That's maybe anyway. true. That's maybe true. Just... Okay, um, so what does the poem look like for people who can't see it at home? Oh, what does it look like? Uh, this is important with poetry. Uh, well, it's written in two-line segments, so... Um, yeah it's sort of in these two line blocks and then each line ends with a full stop so there was a so it was very comfortable to read through yeah Mm -hmm. Um, that's unusual sometimes yeah sometimes poetry see I know nothing but you've told me I'm an expert so I'm going ahead with the confidence (laughs) of an expert um (laughs) sometimes poetry doesn't end on a line and so it can be hard to know when to take your breath when reading mm. it? Enjambement. Enjambement. Oh. It's French. Oh, it's French. Perfect. So, yeah. And it's... Yeah, this this is nice, actually. I like that, that it, it get And the lines are really long as well. Mm. So it looks quite boxy. Yeah. Because it's, it's 14 lines, which, if you're a poetry reader, would go ding, ding, ding in your mind, because that's a sonnet, 14 lines. Ah. But... It doesn't look like a sonnet because it's broken up into these two line stanzas or couplets, if you will. So yeah, it doesn't look like a sonnet, but it's interesting that it's got 14 lines. You gotta keep that 
in your mm. mind because when there's a sonnet involved stuff goes on um so yeah we've got these long lines and i think the first two stanzas um are interesting when i read those can you read out the first two again and we'll just sure. look closely at those the macadamia nut of sunset blanketed with a strawberry breeze such moments are infrequent in our sugar substitute days like the texture of a shiny wallpaper without good taste. So melodious in the Pima Cotton Night is the song of the maiden hair cat. What do you think is going on in these two? I mean, it's very descriptive of like a, an environment. To me, I, I'm sort of in a space that sort of talks about sea and sky and breeze and air and and then, but I also kind of felt like a Candyland surreality mm-hmm. because of all of the the visuals around sweets. Yeah, it, it's transportive, but I I can't quite situate myself. So it's a little weird. Yeah. So there's a sunset, a strawberry breeze, which is strange. And the t- like the texture of shiny wallpaper. So then you kind of, you're imagining being inside. Mm-hmm. And what's a Pima cotton night? Do you know what that could be? I did Google it because uh, oh, I wasn't yeah? sure. <laughs> and it's, um, oh, what was it? A sea island cotton. Pima cotton is a sea island cotton. Gisipium barbadense is one of the several species of cotton. Okay. <laughs> and what is a maidenhair cat? Do you know, Did you Google that? I did not. Do you think it's just a type of cat? I suspected so. I thought the reference of a cat was very akin to the spinster imagery, but then to yeah, call it- Yeah, I thought you said cats. Yeah, and then maiden hair cat, a maiden being like a young woman. So maybe yeah. like a fine haired cat. Okay, okay. And I, this poet does like cats. They're into cats, um, mm, so okay. that's- that's important and I I mean who doesn't I mean some people don't but then let's look at the next two because I feel like the next two is when my attention is got in this poem Mm. can you read out the next two stanzas to be unloved is like listening to a progress report on courgettes for months my feelings propelled in a Victorian swimming cage over a rocky beach I decanted my sincerity into a carefully labeled trunk. I wilted like a leftover chicken wing in the crispy light of day. So these two is when something goes on. It gets funny, doesn't it? It gets, I think it becomes more internal. Like there's such a strong shift of like an external environment to then suddenly being self-referential and being sort of intrinsic in oneself. Um, And it's all very emotional. Yeah, it's like, it's a bit emotional, but it doesn't really give much away at the same Mm. time. Like to say to be unloved, like any person reading that, it's gonna affect them, I think. Even just just to like read the word love, but also unloved. It it really, like you say, a visceral reaction. When I read that, I'm like, oh, straight away to be unloved, no. Um, It's like, and then it hits you with the joke. A yeah. progress report on courgettes for months, like with a, a budumch at the end. And it, yeah. you're just like, okay, this person's joking. It's, they're okay. 
<laughs> it's okay. Um, when people joke, it's fine. I mean, maybe they're joking to hide sadness. Well, that's what I think is that like people become a bit glib, you know, like they always say like a joke is actually a truth in a mask. And I think that can often be the case. <laughs> so I, I still see like a bit of like sadness. And I think this idea of like the lone woman and women's value being so tethered to their desirability and their marriageability that we do a lot of explaining when we are single women and so yeah i think there is something to that that is really uh striking to me like the line i decanted my sincerity into a carefully labeled trunk is probably my favorite line because i mm -hmm. i think so many people who have had to explain these things over and over again like why they're single or why they don't want to get married or why they don't want to have kids have to sort of put away their feelings or their vulnerability because they're always sort of putting on this facade of, I'm fine, everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, make a joke out of it, even. Yeah. And then I wilted like a leftover chicken wing in the crispy light of day. <laughs> that is just, I mean, what a line. And it, ma it makes me think back to the strawberry breeze, which mm. sounds sort of, it sounds fanciful at the beginning, a strawberry breeze, it sounds mm. like a sort of Instagram filter or something. And then the crispy light of day is so different. Yeah. To me, it's very hopeful. It starts off very hopeful. And then I think there's sort of this naivete to this sort of like sweet imagery. And then things get a little bit bleaker, a little bit brighter. You can't really hide in things. Yeah, the chicken wing. The references to meat in this poem. Yeah, yeah. I don't get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So we've got the chicken wing. And then, oh, by the way, it mentions a clanger. Do you know what a clanger is? No. So it's like a, um, a children's TV show from like the 70s with okay. these little like mice that live on the moon randomly. <laughs> Um, just to keep you informed, you should watch a video of it after this because okay. I watched one earlier and it was it's so beautiful. There's like a little recorder playing in the background and it's like stop motion. It's beautiful. Ooh. But yeah, meat. So we've got a chicken wing mm -hmm. and we've got, well, we've got being salty, which I guess is a normal thing, but also to do with meat could be. And a sausage in a garden full of flowers and my meaty display. So... <laughs> Yeah, what do you think about um, the women, the woman, supposedly a woman? I mean, if you're a spinster, you're probably a woman. No one calls yeah. men spinsters, so they're, no. they're just bachelors. Yeah. Um, yeah, why, why would the spinster be meaty? Uh, I, I definitely saw the, the flip-flop uh, when they talk about the carefree yet salty and salty mm -hmm. being in opposition to sweet and how we started very sweet and now we've transitioned into a full opposition to that. Mm -hmm. I pretend to be carefree. So again, it's this facade, this mask of I'm fine. I'm yeah. unbothered. It's also I pretended yes. to be salty. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they've stopped pretending now. They've, they've given up. Um, yeah. <laughs> a seaside wench. Love that. Uh, the big, it's like... all kind of in um, in past tense, isn't it? Even the very last mm. stanza, it was okay to be alone. Mm. 
So is this like looking back at sort of a duration of their womanhood from beginning to end, maybe? Yeah, maybe, maybe. And also about the title again, it's self-portrait as a spinster. So they, the poet is putting themselves into the position of a spinster or it's not necessarily saying I see myself as a spinster because they could do self-portrait as a coal miner and even though they're Mm. not a coal miner but just like imagining what that life would be like so you can't always read it too literally Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do that with poetry there they read something and it says I am this and you and you just think straight away wow the poet is (laughs) is a sausage (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah let's look at the ending because I want to know the general tone of this poem like Mm. are they is it a sad poem or are they sort of embracing this idea or sort of laughing at the idea that they're a spinster that's what I want to know so can you read just the last stanza out again it was okay to be alone like a sausage in a garden full of flowers in the caramel air a labrador stared kindly at my meaty display what do you think do they like being, what, what's going on in the last one here? Well, I like, so I've always thought that like a good story comes for full circle. And I think what I like is that like the caramel air, it's, it's a denser, it's a heavier sweet than a strawberry breeze, right? Um, mm-hmm. The strawberry breeze has that sort of loftiness. The caramel air seems weightier. And then I think it's really interesting because no one would lust after a piece of meat like a Labrador. And yeah. and so to me, there was this idea of like, there is desire. It just might not look like everyone else's. And, you know, one person might scoff at a sausage in a garden because it should be full I of like flowers. That. But the Labrador would much rather the sausage than the flower. Yeah. I so love like space that. for That's everyone. so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Different types of desire. I think that's great. And yeah, and also, yeah, each to their own kind of thing. I really like that. I think, because, you know, I said if it's a sonnet or if it's 14 lines, you've got to think that maybe it's a sonnet. Mm. Um, If it is a sonnet, do you know what sonnets are normally about traditionally? Uh, no, but I would shoot in the dark and think love. Yeah. So obviously Shakespeare, he did a Mm -hmm. few sonnets and yeah, they're normally about love. That's like the kind of cliche thing. They're about love. But these days people do them and usually subvert that quite a bit. And you could maybe read this as subverting it in a way of like self-love. Like I I kind of see it as that. Like I, I think they're inventing all these images and yeah I don't know I I I see it was okay to be alone I just think it's kind of acceptance isn't it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like to believe that I don't want to think it's a sad poem because it's such a joyous poem and so fun I loved reading it I was I was walking home from the pool and I passed this little park with a playground and I had a coffee and I sat down and I read it and I listened to uh, the Japanese house, which is very like atmospheric, melodic music. And I've sat there reading it a few times through. 
And I didn't have a sense of foreboding or despair. It was very visceral. It was sort of um, self-referential. It made me think of yeah. myself in the position of the writer, but yeah. um, it didn't leave me feeling sort of melancholy. That's really nice. Yeah, I, I love that it made you think about yourself because that's what poems do. Mm-hmm. Even if it's nothing to do with you, you, you always kind of put yourself in the position. And I like that, that it's self-portrait as a spinster and you like inserted Lydia into it. It's like Lydia's self-portrait as a spinster. That It's kind of a, a sort of um, template for you to insert yeah. your feelings into. I love that. But yeah, so we've come to a sort of understanding of this poem, would you say, in a short time? And I'm sure the listeners will all have different ideas of what's going on based on their own experiences. But yeah, how do you feel now? Will you look at poems differently after this? I think so, actually. I I wasn't expecting to um, enjoy it as much as I did. I think... I, I definitely would like to be someone who reads more. Having just finished a master's, I was sort of up to my eyebrows with yeah. reading and I was sort of feeling done with it. But this, the beauty of this was it took me no time at all. I could take the 10 minutes to like drink my coffee and read through it a few times and interpret it differently each time. So I think, yeah, I think it's hard to find to start to open a book, to find a poem to read. You know, that's what I struggle with with books as well is it's so hard to know from a blurb on the back of a book, which one I'm going to enjoy. So this was a good push through the front door to get me going. Yeah, great. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Annie. Join the conversation. To read the poem in full, go to www time for one poem that's with the numbers four and one dot wordpress.com and comment with your own interpretation of the poem this podcast was made using funding from the national lottery through creative scotland thanks for listening